Okay, but here's my question. Who are the ladies? Avi, we're the ladies. Hi there, you're listening to The Lady Cast, conversations with women to inspire you to go out and do the thing. I'm Alex Laughlin. This week, I spoke with Nisha Chital. She's the Director of Audience Development at Tasting Table, and she also writes an awesome newsletter called This Week in Lady News. We talked about self-care, what it's like going to the wing, and why for years, Nisha didn't tell anybody how old she was. I'm really excited for this interview, so let's just get right to it. All right, Nisha Chital, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Alex. I'm so excited to talk to you because I've admired you from afar for a really long time, which is an awkward thing to say to a person that you're Oh, no. To, oh, so my God. Not, no, apologize. not at all. I I mean, I was like totally familiar with your podcast and everything. So I, you know, admired you from afar, too. <laughs> um, so the reason that I came to know who you were is I downloaded this book on my Kindle when I was a senior in college called The Ten Habits of Highly Su- Successful Women, which I feel like that title is kind of a misnomer because it wasn't so much 10 habits as it was like a collection of really amazing essays by women about their careers and their lives and you wrote an essay called why why I never tell anyone my age yeah and, and in that you wrote that you from a very early age decided that you weren't going to tell people your age in a professional capacity and that really kind of seeped into a lot of your interpersonal relationships, I feel like, at work. And let me read this quote really quickly. Mm -hmm. Every woman knows this to be true. When you tell someone your age, you give them the power to decide how you're perceived. No matter your qualifications, people are predisposed to judge what you are really worth to them based on your age. The point of someone asking your age is almost always so that the asker can make a judgment about you based on that age. What other reason is there? Oh, <laughs> that just like, that gave me so many feelings of fear as a senior in college. <laughs> oh, no, it wasn't, it wasn't meant to make you afraid. It was just sort of my like frustrated reality. Could you kind of tell the story of, of how that essay and also that discipline came about? Well, so the reason it it sort of came about was because, well, I graduated college in 2009, uh, but I actually graduated a year early. I'd finished school in three years. And I was already like a little bit, like I was one of the people who had a summer birthday. So I was at the end of my class. I was already like on the young side of my class. And then I graduated a year early. And I started a job in Washington, D.C. at an agency doing social media right after college, like within three weeks of graduation. And I got there and I was, you know, especially because I had graduated college a year early, I was by far the youngest person in every single room. And I was like full-time staff, but oftentimes like even, you know, the interns, everybody was older than me. So I I was very self-conscious about it right from the beginning. Um, And I, you know, I really, I really didn't want anyone to know my age because I felt like, you know, once they know, oh, you're only 21, what could you possibly know, right? Like, and it was, 
it was interesting because I knew that like, I felt like I could do the job. I, it was, you know, uh, it was a social media agency. I, throughout college, I'd worked for a website. I had launched our social media accounts um, at a time when social media was you know, really just starting to become a thing. It wasn't really even an industry or a, or a field yet. But I felt like I had, you know, the skills and the the ideas needed for the position I had. And, and it was, I mean, it was an entry-level position. It wasn't like an experienced role, but still it was a, it was a job doing social media right out of college. And I felt like it fit my, my experience. And everywhere I went at work, people were, you know, people would be interested in my ideas and interested in my thoughts until they found out how old I was. And then it was like, it automatically discounted anything that I had to offer because suddenly they were like, oh, well, now that I know how old you are, actually everything you just said before that I thought was really smart doesn't feel as smart anymore. Like I, I often felt like my ideas were discounted. They were taken seriously and then they were discounted when people found out that I was really young. So right, you know, right from the beginning, basically, of, of my, my working career, I just was like, you know what, I'm, I made a resolution to myself that I was not going to tell anyone how old I was, because people would respect me and, and take me seriously if they didn't know, and they, they didn't need to know, you know, it was none of their business. And if it was going to be just a way for people to, to sort of judge me or to put me in a certain box of what they think people of a certain age or women of a certain age are like, then I felt like it was it was really no one's business. So, you know, as I continued on in my career, and, and that was my, you know, my first job at post college, and now I've, I've, you know, I've worked in, in many more places, and it's, it's been eight years since then, which sounds crazy to say. But um, I've just sort of always held on to that, like idea. And, and it's funny, because I mean, now eight years later, I'm, I'm, you know, almost 30. And now people are like, oh, you know, you're not gonna you're gonna wish people still thought you were 20 you know you're gonna you're gonna want to be younger which I still haven't I still haven't come around to that I still feel like no matter what you do no matter which end of the age spectrum you're on people always judge you it's either they they thought you were younger or they thought you were older or you know once they find out your age they view you differently depending on whether you match their expectations of what someone of that age should be like. So I feel like you really can't win whether you're young or you're on the older side. Like there's, <laughs> there's no way to win. So um, I still yeah. to some degree feel like, I mean, I'm more, I'm much more comfortable with my age and with, and with my, you know, with my experience and my skills now than I was honestly, when I wrote that essay, it was now almost four years ago that I wrote that. So I have grown a lot since then, but um, to some degree, I still feel like, you know, age is not something I, I, I want to talk about in um, in professional settings. It's ironic that I this is the first question I'm asking you. <laughs> 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 I'm curious. I'm sure that you have worked with younger women at this point in your career now. Like, do you ever or have you ever caught yourself judging younger women about their age or based on their age? Um, that's a great, that's a great question. I definitely, I, I have definitely almost done it sometimes. And I've had to stop myself from, you know, I, I've had to stop myself and think again and, and remind myself that, you know, when I was in their shoes, and I remember what it was like to be in their shoes, because it was not all that long ago, I, I try to remind myself that, you know, I was in their shoes, and I know what that feels like to be 
you know, not taken seriously because, because you're young. Um, and I would not, you know, I would not want to treat anyone else that way. And I, I always felt that way when I was, you know, 22 or whatever, that like, I hope, you know, someday when I'm older and I'm in positions of leadership, I won't, you know, act that way to younger people or dismiss them because they're young. Um, so I try to be good about it. It's definitely, you know, it's hard. I think it's, it's so ingrained in our culture to some extent, like every conversation that people have in workplaces about age. Um, I feel like I hear comments about age constantly of like, I mean, I still would have gotten them in, in other workplaces I've had more recently, like, oh, well, you're just a baby, you know, like, I, like, I still hear that all the time. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's just so ingrained in our culture. And I get, I, I get a little bit more now that it come it sometimes comes from a place of people who are older being self-conscious about so many younger people coming into their workplace every year. But, uh, you know, I think it's something that it is ingrained in our culture, but I think we could all be better at trying to, to, to sort of fight that instinct to, you know, dismiss people because they're young. And a lot of times it's self-deprecating. It's, it's trying to make the person who's making the comment feel like, oh, mm -hmm. I'm so old and you're so young. And it's, it's sort of self-deprecating about their own age. Um, but I really don't think it helps either party, you know, so I think it's something that we should all you know, try to refrain from if we can. I'm realizing this is the first time in my professional life that I can actually see like an age difference uh, between me and the people younger than me that I'm mm -hmm. working with. So I can imagine it's kind of like sophomore syndrome, you know, how like sophomores in school are, can be like mean to the freshmen because they're <laughs> just not freshmen anymore. Yeah. Um, but you know, this, it's not nice. <laughs> Yeah, once you start to become not the youngest person in the room, I think it's it's easy to feel self-conscious about there being people who are so much younger. And I think now I understand that a lot of those comments come from that place. But I still think that you know it, it's not it's not helpful to to anyone, and it and it makes that younger person feel even more self-conscious about already you know being the youngest person in the room. Totally. I wonder also, um, I mean, your entire career has been in social media and often in these legacy news brands. Uh, has the fact that you work in social media and you were young kind of compounded upon each other? A little bit. Uh, I think, you know, to some degree, uh, yeah, I, I have worked in a couple of bigger media organizations where there were a lot of people that were quite older than me and I came in, you know, as um, this young person in my 20s who was in charge of social media. And I think so, on some level it made sense to people. Like it was like, oh, of course, like the young, you know, the young kid knows how to tweet and she's mm -hmm. going to teach me how to, you know, use TweetDeck or whatever. So I think that almost sort of fit with people's expectations of like they, they probably wouldn't expect and not saying that this is right or this is fair because certainly anyone of any age can work in social media, but a lot of people, they probably wouldn't expect, you know, a, an older person to come in and be their, their social media manager um, because you just don't see it as often. So that part sort of fit with people's expectations, um, but there was also a little bit of like, there is the mentality of like, well, you're just the person who tweets so they don't necessarily, they might take your ideas seriously about 
something like Twitter, but they, they might not listen to ideas that you want to contribute to other parts of the business. Um, because there is a little bit of like, well, you're the person who runs, you know, Twitter and Facebook over there in the corner and we run the serious parts of the business over here. Yeah, exactly. That can be really frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like that? Cause you, I mean, I know you're interviewing me, but because you also work in social media. So exactly. That's actually why I was asking because, uh, my team is incredibly young. Most of us are in our first or second jobs out of school and we're constantly, trying to teach people in the newsroom about internet and often it can feel as if you know we're just the children who are uh playing dress up it can be frustrating but I think that that's just kind of symptomatic of how young the field is in general so Mm -hmm. you know it'll change yeah I I hope so yeah I think it will (laughs) I want to take a step back because I was looking at your LinkedIn page which is weird but uh, and I'm sure you got a <laughs> notification for that also. <laughs> but I was trying to get an idea of um, your career trajectory. And I was really interested because you majored in political science and then you worked at a digital agency and then the travel channel and then you went into hard news. Mm-hmm. And those all seem very, very different. And I'm curious when you were a senior in college, like what did you imagine that your career would be? Hmm. It's a great question. And and although they might sound different from the outside, but I think looking back in retrospect, it all seems to sort of fit together. And I'm sort of happy with how things have panned out. Although I certainly never would have predicted the, the direction my career would have gone. Um, but yeah, when I was a senior in college, um, so I majored in political science, I loved politics. I thought I, you know, maybe I would work in politics. But I also really like to write. And, um, you know, I was the weird kid that liked writing papers in school. Um, oh, and, yes. you know, I loved the classes where you just had to write a final paper instead of taking a final exam because I hated exams. Yes. But I, yes. I felt like, you know, give me enough time and I can write like a knockout paper. Um, so I love to write. And I was like, well, you know, I don't know if I'm cut out for really being in politics, but. Um, political journalism is is probably more my speed and it combines two things that I, I really like and I really enjoy. So I wanted to be a political journalist and when I was looking for jobs my senior year of college, I was looking for political journalism jobs, but it was 2008, 2009 and there really just weren't any. It was right after that fall we had had the crash and the recession and everything and <laughs> I remember all these headlines about how like the class of 2009 is graduating into the worst economy in years and the worst recession and they're not going to find any jobs and it's going to ruin their, you know, their financial prosperity for decades. And I was like, oh, great. And and obviously, you know, aside from that, journalism, too, has, has struggled a lot. And there used to be a lot more jobs in the industry. And now there are constantly cuts and layoffs and, and cutbacks. And there's not as many journalism jobs and especially entry-level journalism jobs as there used to be. So I was looking, but I wasn't seeing as many journalism opportunities as I would like. And I wanted to move to D.C. or to New York. And opportunities in those two cities are, are for journalism are very, very, very competitive. So then I found this opportunity with this agency called New Media Strategies at the time. And it was a, a social media agency in a, a time when um, people were only just starting to figure out social media. And uh, they were hiring for a position, which at the time, the time was called online analyst, which sounds so almost like retro now. Uh, yeah, right. 
like now we would just say like social media content producer or whatever. But uh, at the time it was called online analyst. And uh, I was like, you know what? I do really want to be a journalist, but I had worked for a political website sort of in my free time during school. And I had started our social media accounts. I started a Facebook page and it was actually a group at the time because <laughs> fan pages weren't, weren't really quite a thing yet. So I started a group. Uh, which we later converted to a page. Um, so we started a Facebook group, and I started a Twitter handle and, and YouTube and that kind of thing. And I was like, you know what? I, I, I enjoy this part of, of journalism, too, of creating these accounts and interacting with our readers. And we weren't really measuring traffic from social media at that time. There was no real strategy to it, but it was just like, oh, when we post stuff on Facebook, our readers actually come there, and they actually comment and respond, and, and that's exciting. And we were just excited to get any sort of like feedback loop at all. But I enjoyed that and I was like, you know what, this agency opportunity popped up. I like social media. I've been doing this at this political blog for a little while. You know, I think that I could I could do this and you know, I'll do it for a couple years. I, I never saw it as a forever job, but I'll do it for a couple years and then then I'll go become a journalist because then I'll be in DC and I'll I'll keep writing freelance on the side from my day job and I'll I'll build up my writing portfolio and then I'll eventually you know, in a, in a year or two, move on to a, a journalism job. And so I did that, and it was a great place to work. Um, there were so many terrific people there. Um, I made a lot of, you know, lifelong friends and, you know, met some great people there. I had some great mentors and great bosses. Um, I also met my husband while I was working there. Um, I, f I feel like I have to say that, or he'll be like, you talked about your friends, but you didn't mention this. Um <laughs> So I had a great experience there. There were terrific people. I learned a lot working on all these different clients, but they were all very corporate corporate clients, like what you would expect at an agency. And it was a great learning experience, but I knew that like this, the agency world is not really for me long-term. And I, it was, you know, I was still doing a lot of freelance writing and I was applying to a couple of journalism jobs whenever things popped up. Um, but then this opportunity sort of came to me, like a friend of a friend was helping recruit people for this uh, social media manager job at Travel Channel and he like g-chatted me one day and and asked if I'd be interested and I said sure it, it I had never thought of something like that but now that it it sort of came to me through a friend I thought well this this sounds interesting and I'd, I'd like to you know learn more about it and so I ended up going to work there and I, I worked there for two years and again, it was a place where I learned a lot. I learned a lot about TV. I learned a lot about media and entertainment. And I worked with a lot of people who you know, were seasoned TV producers who had been in the business for many years. And there was certainly a lot that I could learn from them about TV. But I still was like, you know, I am a, a news and politics person. And, and those were always, that was always the thing that I was most passionate about. Um, so I need to get, you know, I've sort of strayed a little bit from the path that I had set out for myself and I need to get back on that path. So, you know, whatever my next opportunity is, I need to find something that is um, more, you know, news and politics oriented. And so, you know, I, I did, you know, like any, like everybody does these days, I had sort of connected with lots of people in the, the social media, digital journalism world online, especially through Twitter and, and Facebook groups and things like that. And so I ended up finding this opportunity at MSNBC through um, a, a friend that I knew who worked at NBC, who a friend who I knew primarily through social media connections. 
this opportunity came up to be social media editor at, at MSNBC, and I thought this is this is exactly the thing I've been looking for that combines, you know, my my now four years of of social media experience and social media strategy, along with my passion for news and politics. It was sort of combining all the things that I felt I could bring to the table and the things that I cared about. So yeah, so then I went to work there in in 2013 and uh, stayed for quite a while, all the way through the election this past November. Um, so over three and a half, three and a half years. Um, and it was honestly like the ride of my life. Like, um, it, it was, um, such a, you know, it was a, it was a privilege to work there. There are many, many talented people at NBC News and MSNBC. And I had many opportunities where I was like, is this real? Like, am I really like Snapchatting with Rachel Maddow right now? Um, <laughs> So there, you know, I, I, and I learned a ton there too. And I think that's always the important thing is like, that's sort of my measure to me of like how long you can stay in a job and when is the, the right time to, to move on from a job to your next thing is, are you still learning new things? Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, and I was learning new things there every day for a very, very long time. And honestly, I just came to the point where in the election cycle last year, they all just started to become uh, like the, I mean, you were, you know, you worked at the post <laughs> you work at the yeah, post. Yeah, it was intense. Yeah. Last year was really intense. Just the nature of, you know, news and social media are already 24 seven, but last year it became even more 24 seven, if that was possible. Mm-hmm. You know, there were constant debates. There were constant, uh, there's always a breaking news story at, at whatever hour of whatever day there was always something going on and, and, you know, we did the best that we could as, as any big news social media team does, which is that we tried to staff people, you know, in staggered shifts, like everybody had a different shift so that, you know, nobody was accountable 24 seven, but I was also in a, in a manager role at that point. And so despite, you know, doing our best to stagger everyone on the team schedule so that I, you know, in theory, no one was accountable 24 seven, I would still get a lot of emails um, even when I was out of office and, um, you know, if, if there's breaking news, you know, I can't, it, it, I, I can't ignore it. Like there would be somebody important and famous passes away and it happens on a Sunday and I might not be the person on duty on Sunday, but I still, you know, have to check in and I have to think about, you know, what, what can we do? How can we tell the story on all these different platforms? It just, and it, that, and just the nature of like how brutal that, that political year was, I mean, it was really nasty um, there were so many primary debates. There were there were times I remember, like last spring, when there would be a Republican debate on Tuesday night, a Democratic debate on Thursday night. So we you know, we'd stay at, at the office yeah. late both of those nights covering them. And then on Saturday there'd be primaries, so we'd come back in the mm-hmm. office all day on Saturday to to handle primary results. So it was just like nonstop for that entire year almost. Um, and so it just kind of at, at some point just like sort of wore me down. Like I was just, I realized in the last year, the this sounds cheesy, but like I, I finally realized the value of self-care because I wasn't, I wasn't able to, like I couldn't prioritize like going to the gym when my schedule could be, you know, so erratic and I, I would work at, at weird and varied hours or I would stay up late. 
covering debates or whatever. So I, I, I couldn't, and I traveled a bunch in the fall. I was going to, you know, I went to the conventions and I went to um, all the general election debates. So, you know, the, the travel threw a little bit of a, a wrench in my, you know, routine too, of like trying to eat healthy and trying to go to the gym. Like all those things are not possible when you're, when you're working at that level. Really the only thing you can do is sort of 100% dedicate yourself to your work, which is what I was doing. And uh, I just, I was like, you know, I'll, I'll hang on through the election because I, I always wanted to, to, to be at MSNBC for, for that election. But afterwards, I knew that, you know, it was gonna, it was gonna be time for me to think about what my next move was because I just couldn't keep doing, like working at that pace anymore. Yeah, you know? it sounds like you were really burnt out. Yeah, and, and I don't, and, and you know, it's not even, you know, it wasn't even really the specific place that I worked, but I think probably every newsroom is like that to some degree. Like every, I, I think it's news as an industry. It's just, um, this is the sort of the way that the news industry is set up now, and especially with social media and I mean Donald Trump tweeting at 5 a.m like I can't even like newsrooms have to like rearrange their schedules to have somebody staffed at yeah. 6 a.m to write up that story right like they they have to have they have mm-hmm. to make sure somebody is on duty at those those wee hours to write it up when Donald Trump tweets like it's it's sort of a new challenge that none of us ever saw coming um I think it's it's a problem that is is larger than just one newsroom or one place it's really about the industry as a whole um Mm -hmm. and i don't think that the news industry has figured out a a way to prevent employees from burning out and and make sure that people have work-life balance because most people i know in news don't have work-life balance but everybody sort of understands that like well we knew that that this was what we were getting we knew what we were getting into you know this is just the the sacrifice you make to work in news but at some point, I was just like, I, I don't know if I want to make that sacrifice anymore. I love news, but mm. I don't love it enough to, to be doing it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. What are your like most important features of your self-care routine? Uh, well, since I have uh, moved into lifestyle media... I have been much better at going to the gym. I go to, I do a lot of spinning classes, Ooh, um, which scary. I really like. <laughs> it's not scary though. So I know it seems intimidating. It seemed intimidating to me the first time before, like, mm-hmm. you know, before I actually went in and did my first class. It's only scary the first time when you like don't know, you know, how the bike works or what you're supposed to do. Uh, but you pick it up quickly. And um, now that I've gotten the hang of it, I love it because I hate running but I know that I need to do cardio. And so for me, it's, it's such a quick way to pass 45 minutes of cardio without feeling like I'm really like, I, I'm not bored because there's always, you know, there's music and it's very high energy. It's a good way to knock out cardio without feeling like, ugh, I have to like run on the treadmill for 45 minutes. I hate um, running on treadmills. Right, treadmills are terrible, yeah. which is why spinning classes, I feel like are the answer to that. So I do a lot of spinning. I try to like fit in yoga or Pilates when I can. I'm also really into cooking. And I don't know if that qualifies as self-care, but I find it really sort of like meditative almost. Yeah, Um, same. I only have time to do it like once or twice a week, but it's like it feels so good. 
yeah, I mean, we're all busy, especially during the week. It's really hard to find time to cook dinner on, on weeknights, especially, you know, if you mm-hmm. work late or, or whatever. Um, my thing lately has been cooking ahead for the week on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has become sort of my routine now almost every Sunday. I'll sort of pick out like, okay, here's a few things, a few recipes that I can make for, you know, the entire week. Um, and this will feed, you know, this will feed us for, for dinners for, you know, three nights or whatever. Um, if we sort of mix and match these different recipes in different ways. And that way, you know, I don't really have to cook on Monday when I come home at 730. Um, yep. because there's already, there's already something in the fridge ready for just to be reheated. Um, so I, I kind of love doing that too. And I do that, you know, every Sunday I basically set aside my afternoon to, um, to sort of think about about recipes and, and um, shop and then cook, you know, for maybe a, a couple hours. That sounds very healthy. It definitely it definitely helps you be healthier because you mm-hmm. don't if you already have meals planned out, you don't resort to last minute, you know, delivery, which I used to do a lot before. If I came home from work at seven thirty and I was too tired to cook, I'd be like, well, I'm just going to order from Seamless because especially <laughs> in New York, it's so easy. Mm-hmm. to order delivery um this is starting to sound like a uh, blue apron commercial <laughs> right <laughs> um but i don't yeah, but i don't use blue apron i'm like well blue apron concerns those things concern me because there's so much plastic and so it's yeah. like every you know ingredient is individually wrapped but um it's so yeah it's so easy to resort to delivery that if you have your meals planned out ahead of time it's um so much easier to be healthy and so you know, I sort of like, I think about like everything I want to eat during the week of like, okay, here's, you know, I'm going to make salads for lunches all week. I'm going to like hard boil a bunch of eggs. I'm going to roast a bunch of vegetables and make, you know, a, a chicken dish or something that I can sort of spread out throughout the week and, and combine them in different ways. And then you do, I mean, you do end up eating healthier just by virtue of not ordering Chinese delivery, you know? <laughs> that is really inspiring. <laughs> I've I'm like constantly struggling to feed myself. Seriously. <laughs> I don't know if it's inspiring. It's like very dorky. Honestly, it's like so dorky to be like, oh, I can't like hang out all day on Sunday <laughs> because I have to do Sunday meal prep. It's like actually very lame. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I feel like it, I, I could like keep asking you a million questions, but I need to let you go. But I want to ask you one last question, which is also lame but I noticed on Instagram yesterday that you were at the wing are you a woman I am oh my gosh that's so cool what is it like I like I so admire it from afar um I I love it it's really it's a really unique community the thing so I've always been part of a lot of groups for like women in tech and women in media and I love those kinds of communities and I've I've gotten so much value out of them um, but I find that a lot of those kinds of communities and, and those, that kind of networking is often um, primarily digital. It's like email listservs and Facebook groups and things like that, mm-hmm. um, which is all great. Um, and you can still meet, um, you know, you can still make many wonderful connections that way. But the thing that I think is, is interesting and, and unique and different about the wing is that it has this physical space. Um, it's beautiful if you've seen pictures of it it's like the most gorgeous Mm -hmm. place i've ever seen um it's like so perfectly decorated it's like the perfect clubhouse 
I know. You just want to like hang out there, like <laughs> among all the feminist books in their library and their like pastel phones and everything. It's like adorable and it's adorable, but also it's a very empowering space. Like there's there's feminist art and there's there's a whole library full of books by women and there's all this, you know, swag everywhere that has feminist slogans on it. It's like it's cute and pink and girly and, and pastel while also being, you know, sort of badass and, and feminist at the same time. Um, but it's been really cool. I just joined in November, December, and I've met a lot of great women through it. So I think, and, and they are, they're always having you know, really great events. So yesterday I went to this event they had with Senator Gillibrand and she, you know, she talked to all the women there. I mean, it's a packed house. There's like 300 people there in their like tiny little, uh, it's not that tiny, but it was just full yesterday with, with all these people. But yeah, so she talked to us about her story as, 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 a, as a young woman wanting to be in politics and running for office and, and learning to believe in herself and to own her ambitions. And, and she was you know, encouraging everyone to, you know, to believe in yourself if you want to run for office and to, you know, fight for what you believe in. And especially now in the, in the era of Trump, you know, many of the women there were looking for ways to participate in, in activism now, which, you know, she had a lot of great thoughts about, you know, how people can participate beyond, you know, call, calling a member of Congress, which is a great thing to do, but also many other ways that they can, you know, that they can continue to participate um, and she was very much, you know, all about encouraging people to run for office. So that was cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so the wing has been really nice. It's nice to have sort of this like IRL space to, you know, connect with other cool women and, and meet women from all different walks of life, you know, which I think sometimes we, t- especially in media, like we tend to be in a little bit of a media bubble. Um, I know oh my that God, the biggest lot, media yeah. bubble. <laughs> yeah, right. I yeah. know that a lot of my social circles involve are all you know people, other people in media. Um, but the wing, you know, the wing certainly has like a, a good chunk of. There's a lot of women who work in media, but there's also um, all these brilliant women who are doing all different kinds of things. Like at yesterday's event with Senator Jill Brand, I met. A woman who's a pediatric nurse. There's a woman who works oh for gosh. the NYPD. There's a woman who's an abortion provider, and she also works on HIV care for uh, transgender people. Mm. Um, so you, you meet all these like fascinating, smart, accomplished women, which I think is is you know really cool. That is awesome. Maybe one day yeah. I'll just like come with my microphone and like walk through and just like record snippets of conversation. <laughs> and it'll be like the most inspiring thing. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, Nisha, for talking to me. This has been really, really fantastic. And I wish I could ask you a million more questions. Yeah, thank um, you for having me. This is such a fun <laughs> conversation. I, I wish it could keep going on forever. And that is the show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you like listening to the LadyCast, please rate it on iTunes. It would really help people discover the show. You can follow the LadyCast on Instagram and Twitter at the LadyCast. I am on the same platforms at Alex Laughs. Subscribe to the LadyCast newsletter. There's a tab for it on the website, which is theladycast.com. Thank you to Sarah Lawrence for designing the logo and to JJ Posway for writing our theme music. I'll talk to you guys in two weeks. In the meantime, go out and do the thing. Bye.